So again, in this series, as we talk about kind of church membership and why it's important to, uh, to gather or identify with a local congregation of believers, and um, again, much more crucial um, when the church was just starting to uh, expand and um, there was, you know, physical safety in that. There was physical, much more physical provision in that uh, because of the persecution that existed and how um, there weren't as many options uh, to, to go and worship and try all the different churches and that kind of thing. Uh, but I thought it would be important for us as we head towards a time of kind of a, a officially establishing membership at Missio Day that we talk about these things. What are the benefits and blessings that we receive from being a part of a local body and what are the expectations on us as we are part of a local body? And so last week, we talked about the gathering when we come together like this, corporately, together, in person. We come together to listen in. We come together to let God know, and we gather to live it out. And so we talked about how we sit under the preaching or teaching of God's Word, not just to grow in knowledge and get information, but to be transformed by the Word of God. We also looked at the fact that we get, gather to let God know, to let Him hear it, to praise, to to pray, to confess, to make requests known to him. And in doing so, we also read in Scripture that we're letting each other know, that the Bible says that we're to uh, encourage each other with songs and with words as we come together. And we talked about how Jesus has given us two ordinances or kind of commands, things to do together as the church in baptism and the Lord's Supper, both reserved for believers to symbolize a spiritual reality in our lives, but Also, they serve as a means of, uh, again, uniting together, identifying with Jesus and identifying or connecting to each other. Today, we'll go go over some of the ways that we're to one another, one another. Um, As I've mentioned, there are several commands in Scripture that let us know how to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can't obey those if we live kind of this individual life of faith and never are in contact or community with other believers. And even beyond that, if it's not enough just to be connected to a group of believers, but we should do so humbly and with the proper perspective of ourselves, of God, and of others. So let's look at what the Bible says about this in Romans 12. This will be our kind of base, home base passage for this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 10 says this for by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Uh, Years ago, not like ancient years ago, 
Uh, I think maybe, I don't remember, eight, 18, eight, no, I don't remember. Um, but years ago, when the Houston Rockets were trying to build a winning team again, uh, they, bought, they brought in then-superstar Dwight Howard and James Harden as the centerpiece talent to kind of build around and try to move forward with this winning franchise. It's not uncommon for NBA teams to do this, to get two or three kind of mega talents and then just some role players to support them. And uh, usually everyone understands there's kind of a hierarchy there, right? There's the big three or there's uh, the big two or however many are big and then kind of everyone else. Uh, Again, not uncommon. There's kind of an unspoken hierarchy or sometimes teams are just all about it, like these are the superstars. The problem with the Rockets, or one of the problems with the Rockets in that system, was that the superstars were speaking the usually unspoken. One of them was quoted as saying that they were, they were the centerpieces to the team and everyone else was just kind of role players, just kind of unimportant there to fill a spot, right? Kind of expendable. And beyond that, it was alleged that the two superstars actually physically separated themselves during team events and travel or in hotels or things like that, that they wouldn't hang out with the role players, that they would actually just eat by themselves or not hang out and kind of, you know, be one of the guys with everyone else because they weren't just two of the guys. They were the guys. This is not good for uh, camaraderie, uh, chemistry, morale, uh, or mutual support, right? Um, even as super rich megastar athletes, um, you can't do that as part of a team. Uh, now, this would be an extreme case if this kind of thing occurred in the church body, uh, but that's kind of the attitude that Paul is warning against here, right, in Romans 12. He says for us not to think too highly of ourselves, which those superstars obviously were doing, and it did not work out. Uh, I've seen that a lot in the NBA where it's not just about talent. But Paul tells us to remember we're all members of one another. We each have our own vital role to play. Just like the body has different parts, you can't say that one is more important than the other. The proper perspective for the Christian is to focus on Jesus, to love others in light of his love for us. Verse 10 from the passage we just read says to love one another. This love for one another is the heart of the first point this morning. In the church, we care for one another. We care for one another. I've mentioned the one another's multiple times over the past few weeks because they're crucial to the health of the church. As we consider how to love one another with brotherly affection, think about how families take care of each other, or at least how they should take care of each other. This past week, uh, Ellie was not feeling well, and of course, when she's not feeling well, she's pretty dramatic, whether it's happy, sad, angry, whatever it is. Um, But Danielle sent me a video of Miles kind of taking care of her, and he was being so sweet and so gentle and just wanting her to feel better and bring her what she needed, you know, to, to meet her needs and comfort her in any way he could. It was a beautiful picture of how things ought to be between people. In Acts 2, the most referenced passage throughout this series, we read in verses 44 and 45, that all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So they were sharing things so that people were resourced, that no one was lacking, that no one had a need that went unmet because they were caring for one another. 
We see great generosity in the material care we're to show one another in Scripture. We also see that when we come to Christ and become part of this gospel-centered family that we mentioned a couple weeks ago, we step into a mutual accountability where we look to pursue not only the physical needs and resources of each other, but emotional and spiritual well-being of our brothers and sisters as well. We care for one another. And care takes on different forms depending on the nature of the need. But just as God has met all of our needs in Christ, we're to apply the love of Jesus in our care for one another. In the Acts 2 passage, we see more of an emphasis on the physical, the material. But in Galatians 6, Paul mentions bearing one another's burdens. There's an old saying that says, friendship is for doubling joys and dividing burdens, right? If I'm happy about something, then you can celebrate it as well. If I'm sad or mourning something, then you can feel bad and grieve with me as well. It's a way of comforting one another, ministering to one another. This is what Paul is pointing us to in bearing one another's burdens. And this form of care is also another way of imitating Christ. 1 Peter 5, 7 says we can cast our worries on Jesus because he what? He cares for us. So we emulate Christ when we care for others by bearing their burdens. Galatians 6 also mentions restoring a brother or sister in gentleness when they mess up or fail. This is another familial benefit or blessing we receive from the church. We have brothers and sisters that care for us spiritually. We care and fight for the good of each other so that when someone falls, we don't look away and act like we don't know who they are and disassociate. No, we extend a hand of grace to lift up the fallen. We correct, we rebuke, we admonish, but we do it in love. And we do it in a spirit of gentleness, as the scripture says in Galatians 6 again. Because the goal is restoration, right? The goal is not disassociation and writing someone off. The goal is never excommunication for good. Even in the case of disfellowship or excommunication, the goal is to restore the fallen into fellowship and community with the body of Christ. should grieve us when that happens. It doesn't always turn out that way, that they are restored, but that's the goal as outlined in Scripture. Not to write somebody off, but to continue to extend grace that, in hopes that they will return to the fold. Think about the unique care the church is designed to provide one another. Think about even in our small congregation, how we care for each other. And if you don't know, let me remind you of some of the things that I've observed in our church. I know this church checks on one another and provides food for each other when someone is sick or finds themselves overwhelmed. I know people in this church celebrate birthdays and anniversaries of each other and pray for each other and help with car or home repairs and care for each other's kids, etc., These are all expressions of the kingdom ways in which God has called us to care for one another. We care for one another as Christ cares for us. He laid down his life for us. He poured himself out, Scripture says, emptying himself on our behalf. How can we empty ourselves for someone this week? We're to care for one another. Secondly, we serve one another. This is very similar to caring for one another. In fact, it may even flow from the core idea of caring for one another. But when I say we serve one another, I'm referring to the use of our spiritual gifts to minister, to edify, to build up. As we saw in Romans 12, verse 6, Paul says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them 
Sometimes scripture is so plain and profound, you think, why did he have to say that? Probably because sometimes we don't use the gifts that we have. We get distracted or sidetracked or, you know, bound up in self-pity or something where we forget that God has called us and gifted us to build up others. But God has gifted us to use the gifts. Um, one of my best friends, Randy uh, Thompson, he's a pastor in Dallas. He took piano lessons for years growing up. But he, he was kind of infamous for never playing piano for anyone. Uh, later, he would, you know, kind of play in worship as needed and that kind of thing. But in high school, he just, no one ever heard him play. Uh, and I thought that was crazy um, to have a gift and not use it. And I was blessed because I, would, uh, I was working at the church as a high school student, and so I would have to go around and set up Sunday school rooms during the week and that kind of thing. And on occasion, Randy would just be with me just hanging out. And as a, a proper Baptist church was back then, there was a piano in almost every Sunday school room. And so I would go into a room to start setting up chairs, and Randy would sit down at the piano, uh, and he would just let me kind of not name that tune, but almost like jukebox, like make requests. Like I would say, uh, can you play this? And stuff that he hadn't played before, he would just by ear kind of, you know, tool around, and the next thing you know, he's playing that song. And so I got to hear him play all the time, and I thought, man, you know, people are missing out. Not that he's some virtuoso, but uh, he had this gift that people weren't hearing. I don't think his parents even heard him, except for maybe recitals and stuff. And so it's always struck me that people who have these gifts don't use them. I remember friends in college who were like art majors, and they could make these masterpieces, but they wouldn't just do it all the time. They would just, I guess, do it you know, for certain audiences or reserve those things. What Paul is saying is that we shouldn't be like that, right? That God has given us gifts, so use them, put them into practice. These gifts of grace we have, they come from the Spirit of God. We receive them because we are alive by the Spirit when we trust in Jesus by faith. We don't get to pick our gifts. It says that God chooses which gifts to give us. And these gifts are to be used to encourage and build one another up, whether gifts of speaking or gifts of service. We've been gifted in order to minister to others. No spiritual gift is given for self-edification. Each one is given for the purpose of serving others. Consider the gifts we find in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. Administration, being an apostle, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, helps, hospitality, knowledge, leadership, mercy, prophecy, serving, speaking in tongues or interpreting, shepherding, teaching, and wisdom. In Ephesians 4, where some of these gifts are listed, Paul says they're for building up the body of Christ, and that when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Again, members of one another for one another. We don't all have the same gifts. This is by design. It forces us to work together under the headship of Christ as we grow together in him. And it helps remind us that we all need each other and that we each bring something of value to the table because God doesn't make mistakes. If you're a believer in Christ, he's gifted you. He hasn't just gifted the gifted believers. He's gifted every believer. 
Everyone has a spiritual gift to use in order to serve others for his glory. That's what Paul would write this all the time, right? That for whatever reason, he has chosen the foolish things of the world to, um, to display his glory, to make himself known. Paul would say he's the worst of sinners, but that because he's the worst of sinners, it shows how much and how great and how powerful God is that he would use the worst of sinners to do something for him. So don't think I could never do anything for the Lord. He has gifted you to serve him, to make him known. If you're a believer, you have at least one of these gifts, maybe a few of them. Paul says, use them. Well, if we're going to use them, we need to know what they are and what they're used for. And this is just kind of a practical uh, aside, but there, there are a number of assessments available out there that can kind of narrow it down for you, give you an idea, but no assessment is foolproof. You can't just take an assessment and say, that's it. Because I know people who are not believers who can take spiritual gifts assessments, and the results don't say, inconclusive, you're not a believer. They give them a list. I know people who are like, yeah, I don't believe in Jesus. But at the end of an assessment, they'll say, my spiritual gifts are this, this, and this. So you can't just trust an assessment because it's just going to ask you questions about uh, how you how you like to serve, and maybe kind of what you're good at. It gives us an idea. But I think what Scripture points us to, as Paul said, use your gifts. The more practical proof of identifying our gifts comes from exercising the gifts that we think we have and serving outside of the gifts that we don't have. I believe when we serve in our giftings, we're fulfilled and energized in a way, even if the serving is tiring or demanding. Because when we serve outside of our giftings, the work is draining, not only physically, but also spiritually and, and or emotionally. For example, when I, when I preach or teach, it, it's tiring. I know it's not cardio, um, but it draws on my physical and my emotional and my spiritual tanks in a way that can be draining. But there's also a fulfillment that accompanies that. There's an emptying, but there's also, a, a, again, kind of this sense of I'm doing what God has gifted me to do. So you'll find this to be true when you serve in your area of gifting as well. And then when you serve outside of your gifting, you'll mostly feel the drain, even if you're doing the right thing. It's more taxing on you. It's kind of hard to explain, but I think if you've experienced it, you understand it. I sound like an Aggie. Those outside don't get it, only those who are inside. This is one way to help you determine your spiritual gifts. Another way is to ask fellow believers what they perceive your gifts to be. Again, this is not a foolproof approach either. But if asking true believers their true observations, then it's worth it to weigh their thoughts against yours and the possible assessments you may have taken and take all these things into consideration. But the actual working in or outside of our giftings is probably the best way of determining how God has wired you and gifted you to serve him. Now, this begs the question, should we avoid serving in areas that we're not gifted? No. We're all called to serve others, to teach others all that Jesus has commanded in the Great Commission. No, when believers see a need, we should step up and meet the need, even if it's not our sweet spot of ministry, right? Even if it doesn't line up exactly with our spiritual gifts. It may be harder and more draining, but it doesn't mean we're off the hook. We had an issue years ago with our, either our internet or our TV service. It was through AT&T. 
And so I requested service to come out and take a look at it. And so they send somebody out, and apparently this was the outside technician. No, the inside technician came in to look at things. And uh, so he kind of assessed everything and said, oh, no, it's an outside issue. It's not, this is not my department. Everything in the house is fine. It's out there. Okay, so I have to make another appointment. So they send the outside guy out. So the outside guy comes, checks all the outside stuff. The box on the street, the box in our yard, the connections. Oh, no, this is all fine. It's an inside the house issue. You're going to have to call the other guy. Okay? And so on the phone, I say, look, the inside guy says it's outside. The outside guy says it's inside. Well, we're going to send somebody else out. I'm sure you are. And so they send another person out, and they just keep going back and forth saying, no, this is good. It's not us. It's the other people. Okay. So eventually I call and say, hey, I don't want your service anymore (laughs) because your technicians are saying it's inside and outside, and neither one of them see a problem, but there's a problem. And when you call and threaten to you know, cancel your service, then they go, oh, let's send a master technician out there. And I was like, well, why didn't you send a master technician the first time I called you? And that's beside the point. The master technician came out and fixed everything, right, and made it right. But the problem was, each guy would come out and say, it's, this, is not, this is not my department, and pass the buck, right? It's not my problem, not my job. And in the meantime, nothing got done. The body of Christ is not to operate this way. If we only waited for the people with the specific gifts to do the works of the ministry, junk would pile up, right? Things would get messy. Growth in the church would be stunted. Instead, we're called to step up to the opportunities we have with the goal of pointing people to Jesus. We may struggle outside of our giftings, but we still grow and God is glorified. Remember in Acts 6, when they appointed the first deacons, it was because uh, there was oversight. Things weren't getting taken care of within the church. The people who had the the gifting and the the ability to to minister the word and devote themselves to prayer were serving as well. And not that they were above serving, but the other people weren't uh, qualified to be teaching. And so it's not, we're better than you, and so we need someone to come do this work that's lesser than us. It's, we we are elevating not ourselves, but we're, we're neglecting the ministry of the word. And so let's find people who have the gift of serving so that they can serve and have this taken care of because they probably have a better system and it's going to get taken care of while we devote ourselves to the ministry of the word. And when everyone with the different gifts came in to do their parts, then things started working better. So look for opportunities to serve and look for ways to identify your gifts in order to flourish in the giftings that God has given you. Rest assured there will always be needs in the church that need meeting whether they fall under your giftings or not. So we care for one another, we serve one another, and finally, we honor one another. We honor one another. Romans 12.10 says we're to outdo one another in showing honor. Look for ways to honor one another, looking to others' interests and not just our own. And almost like competitively, as Paul says, to outdo one another. Now, I believe it's against the heart of Christ to to seek to gloat in, right? We're not trying to win the competition so that we can take pride in how we honor others better than someone else. But there's a sense here to go all in in honoring to the point that it feels almost competitive because we're trying so hard to pursue the good of each other. Like we should all be the overachieving Chick-fil-A employees, right, that seem a little too happy about serving you. Can I have another ketchup? Another ketchup? Sure thing. Thank you. My pleasure. Oh, all right. I'm like, chill out. Some serious indoctrination going on with their my pleasure training. 
but they all give you a sense that they're set on outdoing one another and showing honor to you. It's actually less of a competition with each other, right? And more of a, I'm not worried about keeping track of what I can do or have done for me. I'm just focused on how much I can honor you. So it's kind of a competition against our personal best, I guess, to show honor to others. The Bible also points out that believers should honor their elders or overseers in the church. Mind you, Scripture specifies faithful elders. If your overseers are not up to the standards put forth in the Bible, then honor is not the top priority. But Hebrews 13 urges Christians to obey and submit to faithful leaders as a way to honor them. I gotta admit, I feel a little weird teaching on this topic, but it's in the Bible, so rest assured, it's not my agenda coming through here. And again, the outline for the whole series is based on Tony Merida's book, Love Your Church, so you can blame him. Last time this topic came up, I had somebody else teach it, and Andrew compared me to the value menu at Taco Bell, if you remember, I remember, like a double stuffed burrito or something. A few of the tips from Merida's book on this section of Uh, honoring elders or leaders, I found encouraging and challenging, as I also consider how to honor the men who pastor me. He suggests, among other things, um, to one, love your pastors, two, be a joy to your pastors, and three, to pray for your pastors. Those were three that jumped out at me to say, how can I do that for the people who pastor me? to love them, to show them love, to honor them in that way, to be a joy, right? That uh, I remember my brother kind of mentioning that uh, exhorting church members to be the kind of church member that when the pastor sees you coming, he's not like, oh no, what have I done? Or what are we gonna hear about now? But to be grateful to see that church member coming and to pray for your pastors and for other people's pastors. I'm not gonna drill down on this because I'm, again, I don't want to come across as self-serving, right? But just to encourage you to seek the Lord on how to best do those three things and to honor others. Think about what is keeping you from caring for others or wanting to care for others. Is it more of a heart issue than an ability issue? Think about how you can serve others and how God has designed you to do so. Which ministries of the church can you step into or what ministry is God prompting you to build or launch? And finally, think about how you can outdo others in showing honor not as a sense of pride, but just how can I just seek to honor, honor, honor. A lot to consider today from what is actually three chapters in the book that the musing is our outline. Uh, I fear I tried to cover too much in this one sitting, but uh, I also sense that these three pursuits go hand in hand in hand about one anothering, honoring, serving. So let's consider how we can care for one another, how we can serve one another, and how we can honor one another. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you again. Thank you for pouring yourself out that we might have fellowship and be reconciled to God, which is not in our ability to do so for ourselves. Thank you for setting that example for us to to be self-sacrificing, to be selfless, to seek to care for others, to be concerned for others, to minister to others. God, I pray for the people in our church that uh, don't know their spiritual gifts to identify them, for those who have them to, uh, to find ways to use them. 
God, if I haven't provided avenues for that, that we would pursue those things together, that we could fan into flame the gifts you've given us as we read in Scripture for your glory, for your kingdom. God, show us ways to honor one another, to outdo one another in showing honor, not, again, not as a competition or a source of pride, but just a, a focus on, on others, a selflessness, to lift others up, to worry less about ourselves. And, and in doing so, God, if, if everyone's doing this, then, then we will be cared for, we, we will be ministered to, we will be honored because everyone else is, is doing so as well. Help us to trust in your care for us, your honor of us. May you be glorified in our lives, Lord, on display as we serve you and live for you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.